Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, friends, and welcome to A Little More Good, the podcast where myself, Dean Morris, or Diener, and my good pal, Zach Berman of the Juice Truck, explore themes that light us up. Things like human potential, coexisting with our planet and its inhabitants, in the fascinating area where wellness, mindfulness, sustainability, movement, business, and our own evolution and adventure intersect. A Little More Good is inspired by community and our collective potential. It is inspired by those that have walked this path before us, both locally and globally. Our mission is to connect intentionally and genuinely with the goal of planting seeds that foster growth and help us all discover the fullness of our own human potential. So join us as we have fun and meaningful conversations centering on human stories that inspire us to get out and live full, healthy, and meaningful lives. Our intention is to create dialogue that is not only interesting to listen to, but inspires you to take what you've learned through the conversation and apply it to your own life in a meaningful way. So let's get to it. And together, we can create a little more good. All right, everyone, welcome back to A Little More Good. We're really excited about today's episode. We have on the pod Team Clarker, who are Chad Clark and Matt Corker. Good friends of ours from the Vancouver area, amazing guys with a really, really cool story that we're excited to share with you. But first, we want to tell you a little bit about who they are. Uh, Chad, man of many duties, father of Sasha the Fierce, president of the Juice Truck Cycling Club, very important, 
Um, he's, he, you know, he's worked his way through the, the corporate world, being the state director, um, being the director of operations at the very popular Hawksworth restaurant, uh, both catering and, and the, the dine-in restaurant. Uh, Chad's done it all. He's run Ironmans. He's completed Fondos. Uh, there's nothing this guy can't do. Yeah. And his partner in crime and in life is the amazing Matt Corker, um, co-founder of The Corker Co., currently uh, CEO of Smash and Tess. Check them out for a romper revolution. And uh, a yoga teacher, Lululemon ambassador, all-around wonderful human being who, uh, as well, can kind of do it all. So we're really excited to share this episode with you, um, two amazing people and a really powerful story of them coming together and creating a life uh, of meaning and purpose and connection that maybe um, wasn't always reflected in what they saw growing up around them. So we really hope you enjoy this one and track with Team Clarker. All right. Uh, welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you with us today, and we're very excited to have our two guests with us today. Uh, friends of ours who we've known through, well, I've known through Juice Truck Cycling Club, and um, friends of friends for years. And we are yeah excited to be able to chat with uh, Matt and Chad. So they are here today to join us to tell us a little bit about all... Um, well, not all the things they're into. They are both men of ma- they wear many hats. Lou, lemon ambassador, yogi, dads, uh, business business professionals, cyclists, um, Iron Man, Iron Man. Yeah, Chad. So we have Boston Marathon runner. Honestly, yeah. The first the list the, goes on. The first time I met Chad, he was training for the Boston Marathon, and I was just honestly like I was so impressed because like I know that that's such a huge accomplishment. And it was something that I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that. And so, yeah, it was just really cool to connect with you guys and to ride bikes and just to um, to meet you and, and hear a bit about your story. And that's kind of where we want to lead in and, and talk about today with you. And it feels so good to see you guys again and like not be in cycling clothes, but just like kind of normal. We're not in spandex. We're not in spandex. I know. I'm, I'm still in stretchy clothes, clothes though. Let's yeah. Be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Almost always, right? <laughs> Um, so yeah, so as per as per usual, we just kind of like love to have a free flowing conversation, and we'll we'll pepper it with questions and um, follow down the rabbit holes that kind of come up. But we just want to spend some time chatting with you, um, introducing our audience to you. One of the things that we do with our podcast here, um, we want to create space for people to hear and connect with human stories. And so while there is there is validity to mining a list of questions and just saying tell us about this experience and go in depth with with our more like long form conversational we want to hear the people uh, behind you know the things the amazing things we can do and kind of get to know in however intimately we can through this medium um, the people behind the stories and, and what you guys represent and that way for whoever's listening there's ways that they can connect with who we are because we all share stories that have different triumphs and victories and also valleys and challenges and so when we hear how other people have navigated and faced and you know come up against things there's solidarity in that and we're all we're all tied together in this experience of of being being human and trying to just like live the best we can 
a little more good each day, if you will. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Thanks for bringing us in, Dina. Of course. Um, so I feel like we could go in a million directions because you guys do a million different things and are multifaceted, multi-interesting people like Dean said. Not as much these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, being, being a parent, this might be getting ahead of the game. Kind of narrows the scope a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I felt like it becoming a parent. So Chad and I became parents in August of last year, so 2020. And our story really happened about four... I, no, I'm even going to... I'll be bold enough to say eight years ago. The first time I met Chad... Yeah, can we start um, there? Can we yeah, let's do it. Like, <laughs> when you locked eyes? Well, and even before that, <laughs> one could say I was... I enjoyed my extracurriculars. I was like very prevalent in the nightlife scene. And I was like, you know, I don't want to say stereotypical, but I definitely filled like a role. And I was having a lot of fun living life, being a single guy, never dated. I always just wanted to have my freedom. And then one day I was like, it's time to get it together. Like you have to grow up. You're in your thirties <laughs> and this is getting less and less cute. So like, yeah, you gotta get it, get with the program. And I always knew. I, I never worried. It was my mother who would be like, you know, you're still single and you're in your 30s. I'm like, listen, I'm fine. Because when I, I know when I know, I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. And so I sort of set out on a new trajectory. Yes. I, I went on plenty of fish. <laughs> Random. Yeah. Clearly. That didn't... Spoiler alert, that's not where he met. This is not an ad for Plenty of Fish. <laughs> no, Plenty of Fish. you by our yeah. sponsor. It was a disaster. No, it was it was a hilarious, because I'd never done anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the one that I chose of all of the things. Well, that was kind of like the origins of online dating, too. Plenty sure. Fish, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that, that's dating you as well. Yeah. <laughs> where Plenty of Fish Which was the lo- option. <laughs> Matt loves to date me. <laughs> in all forms of the word. Pun <laughs> fully intended. Um, so, and I, so I kind of set out on a mission and as you know, when I get, I'm like a dog with a bone, like once I've decided that I'm going to do something, it's like, look out. Yeah. Fast forward to. We met at Dine en Blanc, which is a pop-up picnic that happens. Everyone brings their own food, dresses in white, brings your own table, decor, etc. So I was on a date with someone else. Ooh, spicy. And of course Vancouver's version of Dine en Blanc has like a bougie version right. where you just pay extra <laughs> so that the the food and the table and all the things that you're supposed to bring is just set up yeah. for you. And so after my date and I were done our dinner, I looked over and there was like this incredible long table with beautiful uh, centerpieces and everything and so we're like let's go for a little walk like let's explore the grounds a little bit and so we go over and Chad appears what feels like out of nowhere and is like can I help you and that's when we clearly knew we like overstepped the <laughs> like we are no longer we, the pedestrians because <laughs> I was running the sort of VIP experience right uh, so of the I can't remember 7,000 people that were there about a thousand paid for an elevated experience, and right. I was I was running the sort of elevated because your background was in hospitality. hospitality. Yeah, so that was I was the director of operations for the Hawksworth Restaurant Group um, for eight years, and Hawksworth got the contract, and I was overseeing the okay. the company at the time. 
in contrast, I was at the time working at Lululemon, so he would take suit selfies of his three-piece suits, and I was in flip-flops and shorts at work. So we had like very different lives, to say the least. Anyway, so I crossed the boundary, and watched Chad. Oh, why haven't I seen you here before? Meanwhile, I'm like, it's a pop-up event that's never happened before. <laughs> like, this is weird. And it was very clear that Chad was interested. Well, context. I see a gay couple that I don't know. And at the time, like I said, I was really active in the gay community. And it was seldom that I would see a gay couple that I didn't already know. And I didn't know him or his date. So, And I'd had a little white wine. We'll say a little white yeah. wine. So on the job, just enough to get feeling, you going. Yeah. I was feeling bold. Yeah. <laughs> and so approaches me. And really, like, I think we have very different versions of the story, but I think mine is, is more clear because I didn't have a lot of white wine that night. A little, a little. <laughs> a little, a little. <laughs> little, little just, a wine. just a smidge. And it was like he, like, locked eyes with me and was, like, asking me all the questions. I was like, let me introduce you to my, like, date. And, like, yeah. my date is, like, pulling on my hand, being like, we need to lose this. Like, yeah, yeah. this is not okay. And meanwhile, Chad's like, let me introduce you to my friends. So he, like, escorts us down to this table filled with people now that I know and love. But at the time, I was like, hi, like, I don't, there's no like context. 50, it was, like, 50 gay guys. And Chad's like, this is Matt. No mention of my date. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, everyone's like, hi, Matt. Yeah. Like, I'm like, this is so awkward. Like, oh, we man. need to go. Anyway, he's so, Chad was so kind and was like, you must come and check out my restaurant. Like, just stop by. And I was like, where do you work? He's like, oh, Hawksworth. And I was like, <laughs> I will never stop by your restaurant. And I like told him that. Yeah. I was like, I, like, I work at Lululemon. I'm not going to go home. Put on a suit, yeah, and then just swing by to say hi. Right. For those, for those that don't know, Hawksworth is like the fine dining experience in Vancouver. I was. Well, it was back in the day when Chad was. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and so that was kind of like our first interaction. He added me to Facebook when Facebook was cool. Yeah. And my version was way sexier, but anyway, we'll see. <laughs> and, and he I was being on. so suave. He was like charming and friendly. And, yeah, and I just I I like my version better, but we'll just stick with yours. But I will give you those qualities. Like you were still quite charming. That's also why I stuck around because, as we can like spoiler alert, we're together. Yeah. not the guy that I was with at <laughs> Dine en Blanc. So, so like, so wait, did you go to Oxford? You went. Yeah. So what's, what's the follow up? That was in July, August. August. When is August? Yeah. It wasn't until the next February where the TED Global Conference was in town uh, for the first time in Vancouver, and there was a fundraiser being uh, held in the Hotel Georgia for the Riverkeepers, and my sister and I were invited to this. And in our naivety, Steph and I do not circulate with the posh of the like who's who experience so the idea of like us getting dressed up usually means like we're putting on jeans versus like stretchy pants so we naively thought that this was going to be a sit-down dinner because that's what we thought and so as we're going um we had a little bite to eat but we're because we wanted to be social and not hangry when we first arrived and then we got there and realized no this is like a past canapes with small little burgers there's 60 people 
and this was an environment where we're like, we're not going to have dinner, are we? <laughs> like, this is horrible. So the whole time we're at this event, or sorry, on our way to the event, I realize it's the Hotel Georgia is connected to Hawksworth. I send Chad a message on Facebook being like, hey, I'm in your neighborhood. This is like the one time I said I would never stop by and I'm yeah. stopping in. Yeah. And he responds immediately and is like, we're hosting three events. Which one are you going to be at? And then I was like, you know what? He's hosting three events. Let's like, let him have a night. Right. So I don't respond. So I had to go to all three events. <laughs> I didn't have plans to go to any. Because I didn't run the events. Right. I just, you know, like, I make sure everybody's set up and then I'm off for the night. Right. So then I was like, okay, well, I have to go to all three now. And we were one of the, like, one of the uh, main partners for TED, uh, again, for culinary. Yeah. So I just, like, did the rounds. And he was at the one... Right upstairs. <laughs> and I... Steph and I were about to leave as Chad appears from the back of the, the like, event space. And I told Steph to hang on. I just want to go talk to this one guy. And so we start talking. And I think his line, you have a different version again of this story. <laughs> I love it. I don't know if there's white wine involved in this. <laughs> it was way less wine this time. <laughs> but I, we were chatting. He, you asked me, oh, where's the cute boy? And I'm like, oh, no, no more cute boy. Like, I'm single. And I was like, Why, Like, where's your cute boy? No, kind of fishing to be like, are you also single? Yeah. And your response was something to the effect of, no, I just want to find a man, lock him down, and have kids. And that usually scares away all the cute boys. Right. And I responded with, only the ones that don't want that. And I was like, I want that. And like you, by you saying that, that doesn't like scare me away. Wow. And so then he's like, then I should take you out on a date. And I was like, all right. And so I left this really shitty event with a very hangry sister. The event wasn't shitty. It was very well produced. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the food. It was only shitty because he... I had different expectations. Was starving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, got his number. Those that now I have had his phone number and a date. And so I was like, hey, like this fundraiser turned out to be a really good event. Yeah. Steph, on the other hand, is like... Give me a bowl of pasta ASAP. <laughs> yeah. So, and then we. Was the what, what was? You, but you had a different version. So no, like, my version we, was pretty much the same. And then afterward, you had your friends. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. So, we he left, so I was done. So I then was going downstairs for a glass of wine. <laughs> And I, really did, I met some. I, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> we'll change that. Listen, wine's a big part of my. Any, anyways, I went downstairs and I, I did. I said to friends of mine who were going to meet me at the bar at Hawksworth, and I said, you know what? I think I just asked my future husband out on our first date. Come on. Not a joke. I'm like, I have friends that will attest. I, I just said, I was like, oh, it was. I just knew. That's there awesome. was something different. There was something about the chemistry and, like, yeah. Even though he asked me out for brunch. Which so my favorite thing is, so I was doing this weird challenge for myself the, for the year prior to meeting Chad, where it was called the five date rule. Yeah. And so anyone who's listening, who's like, I'm having trouble with my love life and I want to do something differently. The five date rule changed the, my relationship to dating. Okay. And so the idea was I had to go on five dates with everyone that I went on one date with. 
So instead of it being like, I'm going to ask someone out on a date and then not talk to them ever again. It was like, if we're doing one, we're going to go for five. And the only question I was allowed to ask myself was, is it safe for me to see this person again? Okay. So it's like there was some mental, physical protection and boundary. Right. But not like the evaluation of like, he chewed his food funny. Yeah. So like, that's it. Do our values align? Do I find them attractive? Do I want to sleep with them? How will my sister like this person? Should I bring home to my parents? Like all the laundry list. Yeah. Because what I was doing prior to that in my dating world was kind of like, I'm going to show you 60% of me. But you need to show me 100%. Right. But then in reality, like, the person across the table or, like, that I'm dating at the time is also going to be protective and show less than them their full selves. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm on boring dates. I'm meeting boring people. This sucks. I need something different. So my challenge was to go for a full year of getting up to five dates. And at the five-date mark then I can have the laundry list of questions to evaluate if I want another one. Right. And of course we're dating choice based people. So it's like I can initiate date number three and the other person can also be like, Hey, I don't want to see you again. And that's okay. Yeah. So if anyone's like, did you force people <laughs> no. to date you? No. To get to number five. I <laughs> have this rule. We have to go on two more dates. <laughs> yeah. You're coming. Yeah. But I, there were people that I had started like by date three, I'd like talk to my sister and just be like, don't make me go on date. Like, don't make me initiate another date. And she's like, it's your rule. Like, yeah. you can do what you want. So, but I did a full year, and Chad was the first person after the like year mark okay. that I found. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I was super relaxed in terms of like how dating felt. And I also had no qualms about being able to be like, hey, what do we what do you want? Like, yeah. let's get really clear rather than try to fish around. Like, you want to get married with kids? You, perfect. Game on. Let's do this. You wow. know? Yeah, see, my program was the opposite. Because when we talked about our first date, he suggested brunch. And see, my dating program was... Is this like a family show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, how, how little do I have to date you before I can sleep with you? Is kind of the program... And so, like, the dating Even was secondary. Even though you didn't really sleep around. I mean, like, like, it, like, yes, in the grand scheme of things. You're like a kissing bandit. A little bit. <laughs> but I just never, yeah, that's the other thing, too. Or I, I would only go there if it was, like, really warranted. And he asked me out for brunch, and immediately I was like, oh, my God, I got friend-zoned. Because, like, how do you, like, have wine and sleep together at brunch? At brunch? That's just a little off-color. So I was like, and, and I was like... I don't even know the guy, but I can tell he's not that tight. So I'm just friend zoned. And so I was not, I rolled into the first day at like, ugh, you know, and it was at Barney's. Cafe Barney's on Granville oh, Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Classic. In South, South Granville? Yeah. Yeah, my upstairs neighbor, he's moved, but he owns that place. No way. Yeah. Well, tell him thanks. Yeah. <laughs> our, our first date. The breakfast, uh, breakfast burrito. I think it's like full of stuff I don't or can't eat anymore. Yeah. But uh, so good. The guacamole is Yeah. Like, oh. It's a good choice. Shout I out to Kathy Marty. Like, yeah. Yeah. I feel really good about that so choice. Yeah. So you friend zoned him. And, uh... Well, I clearly wasn't friend zoned. <laughs> but it was, again, you... Life kind of gives you that person that you need, not the one that you think that you want. As mm. cliche as that is to say. But I knew... I also knew that I was like, if I went for my typical 
I would still I wouldn't end up with what I was what I was looking for. Right. And I mean, anybody who can attest to meeting my husband can say, like, you know, he's one of a kind. Uh, and I knew it right away. Yeah. So yeah, that was sort of the beginning. Not sort of. It was oh, the yeah. beginning. That was the beginning. Yeah. And our lives were so full yes. that our first year of dating. So this is now like February, March timeframe, April timeframe. Mm-hmm. And our calendars were so packed that we, in the summer, I think we sat down and looked at our calendars and said, you know, it would be really nice to do a weekend away, like a long weekend together. And this was, it was in, it was just after my birthday when we had this conversation. Right. So in like early June and we started comparing like, oh, are you available this weekend, this weekend, this thing? We got to October was the first time that our like three dates of Friday, Saturday, Sunday would align. Wow. And I actually think it, it that's what really said, sparked not only our level of conversation and like our communication style with each other, but it also gave us this ability to be able to say like, live your life. You, we already have these plans. I was invited to weddings without a plus one. Like there were things I'm like, live your life until October, but anything that is coming up that we're invited to, or we need to do in October and beyond, let's include each other in those plans. Okay. And we, th- we also said, if we actually make it to October, then we've got something that we can work with. Yeah. And from now until October, we'll just intersect where we can intersect. Because I also had like a side hustle where I was planning weddings on the side of my director of operations, right. which is totally normal. <laughs> I, so I did almost a dozen weddings in 14 weeks or so. It was something really silly. Yeah, it kind of takes up the weekends, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was at weddings every weekend, and it, that was just, we kind of said, if we make it to this lofty date in October, then we're like, we're winning. Yeah. Well, I think it says something about each of you too, though, that like you were looking ahead, even in the moment of like, we're not really sure, but it wasn't like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. Like there was this kind of, foresight of like you probably both recognize there's something unique here and that that's it's worth like thinking about what what's going to happen after October and how are we going to start to bring these two lives like more and more together yeah it's kind of a cool way of being intentional about creating space for the relationship right and we let it happen really naturally too I mean I didn't want to change him and I didn't certainly want to didn't want to be changed either and so you kind of have to allow that space and time because the the temptation what was interesting was that it wasn't like this whirlwind emotional it was very calculated our relationship you know it was very rational Mm -hmm. it was you know I decided that this was the kind of guy you know, yes, there was butterflies, but it wasn't that, you know, we all have those like young love experiences where you lose your mind yeah. and you lose your world and all everything. your friends are wondering where you went. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like uh, are they dating someone? Or this new? was the exact opposite where we really didn't integrate much. My parents didn't believe he existed. They were like, oh, you finally just want to get us off your back. So you're telling us you have a boyfriend that is fictional imaginary map and same thing with some of my friends they're like so when do we actually meet this guy I'm like when do I actually get to spend a weekend with him then we'll talk about right. when you get to meet him right if I'm looking at my calendar here you <laughs> yeah. guys might meet him in November <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was I think looking back on it now it 
we allowed our individuality to slowly kind of mesh in a really, really natural way. Yeah. And then when we started, like, when our circles, when we started introducing ourselves, each other to our social circles, we realized that our Venn diagrams were incredibly overlapped. Yeah. And it literally was like we were in the outer circles looking in the opposite direction. Right, right. And as soon as we like looked at each other, we're like, oh, you know. We have the world in all common. This. And so it was quite easy to mesh. It yeah. wasn't like the slow process. I feel like we both dove into the deep end with our friends. Quite I've quite. had professional or plutonic relationships with all of his ex-boyfriends. <laughs> the gay I haven't slept with any of them. is very but, like, small. I was either yeah, like, well, their, yeah. their, Vancouver their in boss, general, and then, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah you go to Yeah, I either worked with them or have, I don't know, it's funny. Like, Which also, if you combine the restaurant industry and Lululemon, that pretty much is everybody in Vancouver. A hundred percent, yeah. yeah right? If you're not in food or stretchy pants, yeah. like, yeah, what are you even doing? Yeah. You know? <laughs> are you a Vancouver? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but it was interesting because, to that point, this is a random aside, Every time I would, like, date someone, I felt quite, I don't want to say passionate, but, like, I was committed to making sure that there's, like, no bad blood. There's, like, I will be able to speak highly of all the people that I've dated, mainly because I also dated them. So what is that saying about me, you know? Like, I want people to know, like, I chose good humans to spend my life with and, like, give my time to. And then when it came time and I was like going through kind of like the X Rolodex, so I was like, how do you know this person and this person? I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank God that I like kept in good graces right? because now there's no, there's no awkward, like, oh, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's so good. And it was really cute. One of my, um, like really significant exes worked with Chad and, uh, would had like called me up one day and was like your like now husband was the best boss that I've ever had. Wow. And it, so it was really cool to also have like people contacting me being like Chad is top notch. So early on in our relationship I was getting these random messages from people being like I love Chad. I see that you're together. This is amazing and I was like Great. Yeah, like, cool. We still haven't spent a long weekend together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that everyone loves it. Yeah, yeah. can't so. wait for October. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of fast forwarding, you got things worked out. Yeah, you spoiler alert. You, you guys are together. Yeah. Eight years of today. No. Whoa, today? Oh, today? Like, no. No. <laughs> April. April. It'll April. Be eight 4th. years together. Wow. Goes so fast. Right? So, quick question for you guys. Um, this is a big, broad, general question, but you guys are both so articulate, so I'll throw it, throw it at the wall. Uh, what have you guys learned about love in those eight years together? Oh, good one. You go first. Uh, what have I learned about love in these past eight years? Or from Matt? <laughs> That's even harder. <laughs> I learned so much from Chad. We've learned... We're, yeah, I mean... <laughs> We've come such a long way. Where do I even start? Mm. I, you know what? Love is communication. Mm. It's just, and in, there's in, intent. Love is intention. Love is communication. Um, love is not by accident. Love really is a choice. Mm. We, I'm so proud to discuss like how in sync we are because we just we we don't make moves without knowing exactly where the other one stands. And, and that doesn't come without its arguments oh, like, or it's like, I totally disagree with this. 
Like, and stuff comes you know, up, like, yeah. you know, the triggers are still there. And we, you know, I introduced Matt to the, like, you do not walk out of this room when we're fighting rule. Right. You I know, really liked doing that. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Our first, like, real argument. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm like, you walk out, you are never coming back. And so I stayed in the room. <laughs> it's like so a very like, defining moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, okay, oh, like, yeah. I will stay for this one. We will talk until we both feel like this is resolved. Like, right. we need to come to a place, like, the don't go to bed mad rule you know it's we've done it a few number of times because you you can when the ultimate goal if the ultimate goal is us you can get there yeah it'll be sticky it'll be gritty Mm -hmm. it won't be comfortable and you you'll you know have those long silences where you just don't want to say anything else but it's gotta it's gotta happen and Mm. i think we're the better for it um and it's just such a gift to have a partner that you know, and we're getting better. Like I was always a bit of a, not ticking time bomb, but like a landmine mm. <laughs> because I can be triggered very quickly. Um, and someone and quite explosive. Very, <laughs> one could say I have a flair for the dramatic. Um, I feel my feelings and he could say like one thing and it really d- it is stepping on a bit of an emotional landmine and I see it now yeah you know and I've learned more so through the look on his face I'm like oh I'm being crazy <laughs> so I you know you learn through your partner you know how your behaviors serve you and right. how they don't and so it's great like I was not a very generous listener and I was like a person who I had you know, my, I come to my conclusions about the world Mm -hmm. and because I was in such a silo and quite frankly, I, I, I enjoyed a position sort of in my profession and sort of socially where I really felt like I knew what was up and what was down, but I was like, it was 10% of my life. Not even that, you know, I, I, I stayed very safe in my little bubble. Um, you know, I'll use Landmark as an example. <laughs> I'd heard about Landmark, and my younger brother, who was a whole other podcast. We all have those in yeah. our lives. <laughs> um, yeah, you think I got shit to talk about? Um, in so in incredible ways. Like let's also preface like those are some really remarkable stories. It's yes. not like let's unpack some like shit. Like, that's, like, that's an exciting. Those are exciting stories. But when he was in his early twenties, he got introduced to Landmark, and I remember we're like my my mo- mother is a staunch Catholic and you know very religious household, and my brother comes home speaking of Landmark as a twenty one year old opportunistic person would and we all just kind of I remember looking at him being like oh Sean's joined a cult right can you explain what Landmark is yeah, for those that, oh um, yes Landmark is a I would call it a development skill set it's a course um, it's very well known in Vancouver because of Lululemon Chip Wilson really um, grasped onto the concepts mm-hmm. and Insured Implan- all his yeah, staff. implemented. I'm trying like, to use right. my words to live yeah. intentionally. He implemented it with as a leadership, the foundation of leadership. Right. I um, think for a while, if it was like if you were going to move into like an ASM role or like a managing role, you you were yeah. expected to participate. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it's you know it's kind of this running joke that like all you know Vancouver is a bunch of land Martians and there's 
the and I see how and why it can be construed that way because you know it has all the characteristics of what a cult would be. You know, there's language, there's rules, and there's limitations. Um, it's it feels very exclusive because of the language. Like you know, if if anyone's done it, you pick up on the language first and foremost because it puts you in this little club. But that's part of its magic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. And so I was so resistant. So obviously Matt, coming from Lululemon, speaks to speak, and he had brought it up, and I just lashed out. I was like, are you kidding me? There's no way in your life. So, like, drop it. Like, not a word. I'm not doing it. No. And <laughs> this was at the beginning of our relationship. You know, as time rolled on, he says, you know, he'd, like, drop it here and there, and I would was never receptive. Um... But finally, one of my, I'm going to interject. One of my mentors always said as a key leadership component, she's like, always lead with faith and patience, faith that things will work out patience that they just may not be on your timeline. Mm. So in this case, I was like, well, Chad's going to do it at some point. Like, and like, cause our kids will likely be exposed to it in some capacity as well. And so like, I, I got time. Like I'm not in any rush here. That's kind of the art of getting what you want. <laughs> Faith and patience, friends. Faith right. and patience. <laughs> Love it. Um, and so, yes, right after we got married, he's like, so we're married. Do you want to just try a three-day development course? Cool. I even said that my exact words. I will never forget this because we were looking at our like goals for the year. And I was like, is this the year that you do Landmark? And he's like, yeah, I probably should do that. And I literally at the kitchen table was like, don't react. Don't make it be like, don't make it a big deal. Act normal. Like this is totally okay. You just spent like four years yeah. trying to yeah. they just, they just, they just, yeah. Yeah. Like, just calm down, calm down, calm down. <laughs> and then he has now completed more courses than I like have. Did the entire <laughs> curriculum in a year. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Right, like like with the bone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full steam so ahead. Cool. <laughs> I was like, I just wanted you to do the first one. Like all these other ones, like that wasn't, Part but of the request. Teacher, yeah. He is on <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'd never done any development. Right. I'd never, like, I was always, like, school of life, you know, restaurant industry, hard docs, yeah. you know, different, you know, totally different thing. And the idea of doing a development course was just not even part of my, it was not in my realm of perspective. Meanwhile, I'm, like, hungry all the time for, like, what's the next course? What's the next development thing? Like, let me unpack something more. Right. And so it was just such a contrast to meet someone who, A, was worked in a professional environment that didn't foster, uh, like, professional development outside of the area of expertise. Like, personal development wasn't really part of the conversation in the restaurant industry at that it's time. it's all soft skills. Right. You know, it's, it's the one industry where you, you excel... And you don't really have to have read very many books. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I was never into school. I mean, I, I did a degree just to appease my parents, and I did it in singing. I have a degree in voice performance. Like, rate that on the scale of one to useful. <laughs> <laughs> and But I got through it. I did it because I only had one academic course a year. Right. And the rest of it was literally singing. It was, it was like a... I don't know. It was like it was like fame minus the dancing. <laughs> we didn't even put that in the intro. That you are yeah, a classically trained singer. Yeah, classically yeah, trained yeah. Singer. So that's that's Next you know, time, another another side of the the other side of the coin is the artist side. But mm-hmm. back to the point of the like the restaurant industry, which 
I really thrived in was because it, it was all interpersonal skills. It was yeah. all communication skills and and reading and studying and courses were just not a part of my world. And so then I meet this one who's the exact opposite. I'm like, you own books? <laughs> I mean, I had so many coffee table books because they were really pretty. Yeah. But I'd never read one of them. I had lots of pictures. Right. He made me get rid of all of them. That's <laughs> true. That is true. Yeah. Um, but to your, to your question around like what did love teach, like what did, what have I learned about love over this, mm-hmm. these years? Um, I think a big one is it's both like Love requires candor and courage. Candor, I feel like, right from the get-go, Chad was like, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for. And I think that that level of honesty, mm-hmm. when it's like, this is, this is, what, is ex- what I'm experiencing, or this is what I'm looking for in a relationship, this is where I want to go in my career, in our family life, it's that space to be able to be like I'm 100% honest with you you know everything in its truest form allows me to then feel heard I know that someone always knows who I am at my truest versus like a perception of me Um, but then that's where the courage comes in because that's really vulnerable and that's really like to be able to just be like oh, I'm going to say this thing that may have gone against our previous plans or our previous conversation, but, like, I need to, like, have that. And I think that that's what allows love to be so intentional. And so when you talk about communication, the first things that came to mind, I was like, oh, yeah, it has to be so candid Mm. and requires so much courage. Yeah, Which is really, like, how your whole relationship kind of started right like the yeah. initial meeting but then the follow-up at the yeah at the shitty not so shitty event <laughs> right? where like you you came came out and said like this is what i'm into but that always scares scares the like the cute boys away yeah like that's that was bold right and very for, forward but took as is usually the case like immense vulnerability right to, to put yourself out there and say this is what I'm looking for yeah in that moment like Matt you have no idea if he's going to turn around and walk away yeah or lean in like you did and say hey okay yeah yeah I've been lucky enough to not I've always been that way and I think too I I always say you know being being like a heteronormative like white man is a is a bit of a curse because you you could you don't have to fight for anything in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where, like, I realized really early on, I, I I would always have to be intentional about what I want for my life because I knew, I knew, I mean, my parents said they knew that I was gay. Newsflash, I'm gay. <laughs> I'm a homosexual man. <laughs> um, third generation in my family. Uh, Interesting, wow. Yeah. Uh, but I knew early on that that was what was up. And... I can, I mean, I was like 10 or 11 when I sort of shed my first tear. And it was not because I was gay. It was more because I was like, oh, I don't think I'll ever be able to have a family. Mm. And I, my, my goal, even then, was I always wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And I, I was like one of the only out, I was the only kind of out, not really out person did, in my did high you come school. Age? Not by choice. I was like yeah. ripped out of the closet and tossed around by all the bullies and the usual, yeah. very stereotypical story. Right. Um, you know, got beat up and all that good stuff, right? It just was what it was. But I never, I was like, this is just what's going to happen. Which, pause, I'm just so glad that like our generation 
of our, like the high school story of our generations is not this high school story of this generation where it's like, oh, you come out and you get beat up until you like survive, like just to survive high school isn't the accomplishment. Whereas now we're like seeing so many, so much more support in the high school. And so like, as we say, like, that's just the norm. It's like, that was our norm versus today's norm and I'm so thankful for all the people doing the work that needs to get done in order to make that happen. Well like every school I go into right as a as a TOC walking in like every classroom door has a sticker that's a rainbow sticker that says this is a safe place for LGBTQ students right or people yeah and like even if students still because it still happens we know like experience bullying or whatever it might be because of their their sexuality like the fact that those visible markers are everywhere like in every school just alongside like the anti-racism thing that's been up since the 80s and the, yeah. the don't do drugs that right like now that it's like it's a it's part of how we understand how the world is supposed to work yeah. like for those kids walking into that class to know that like they're welcome there totally and it's not like you, they don't have to hide it or it's not some you know big thing anymore where it's like you have to get forced out or people are assaulting yeah. you because of who you are, right? It's funny. I mean, you can unpack how different generations have affected one another. I think that's one of the things I've been, you know, always excited to be a parent. I mean, I just said it when I was young too. I I feel very lucky because my parents have always been so supportive. And part of the reason I kind of just didn't bother telling anybody I was being beat up, didn't bother with them any, like any of my problems was, I was like, I can just deal with it. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I, I'm choosing to be who I want to be and it upsets people and they're going to deal with it how they're going to deal with it it's nobody's problem but my own mm. and so I just continue to like forge ahead but s- since those early days I knew everything in my life is going to be by design it's, it's not just going to like happen and I would look at a lot of my straight friends especially straight white men they can just, you just like tick the boxes. The, the, the boxes are like presented to you. And all you have to do is just fill them and you, you can just roll along in your life. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it can be a beautiful life. Mm. But I, I would always kind of joke, I'm like, you know, the curse of, of being a straight white man is you never have to question yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can get away not having to fight for anything. Yeah. Which also leads to like why the prevalence of midlife crises are what they are like you get to be 40 and you're like what am I doing with my life yeah you know like what happened and I think that from an early age when needing to come out and like really question the the biggest question of like who am I um at an age of 10 (laughs) you're like oh right those are that sets us up well to be in those conversations with others in a different capacity right which I'm really grateful for you have to do that important work of like self-discovery and seeing yourself in the world. Yeah. Right. So you're figuring out a place that is going to require effort and struggle and all this. Well, those of us who are cisgendered, heterosexual, especially Caucasian growing up, it's like, it's, you don't even think about that. That's not even on your radar. You just, like you said, you tick the boxes or half the time you show up and the boxes are ticked for you and in you go. Yeah. Yeah. Quite honestly. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. And that's where, you know, like marriage 
growing up as a gay man, you know, yeah. I mean, I am a generation older than than you, and we were still very much like, oh, you're... Well, you dated yourself this time. <laughs> <laughs> that was cute. I was just going to give it, like, save him. <laughs> but we were still like, oh, you're gay, you're going to die of AIDS. Because mm. we were on the tail, like, anybody who was born in the 70s, right? So it's, you know, the idea of getting married, let alone being a parent, it is more, more so like, oh, are you going to be alive in your 30s? Wow. Yeah. Um, so I look at how my life has rolled out, and it's like, no, this is because this is what I, I, I set out the plan, and I made it happen. And so, you know, like anything, when you're in choice, you do everything you can to make sure that it works, mm-hmm. right? Whereas I see a lot of marriages that were not, like, it was people ticking boxes. Yeah. And, you know, it's like if... if we were relieved of the pressures of previous generations and expectation and all of those things. I mean, the world would be such an incredible place to see, you know, mm. and that's, you know, as, as a parent, like now a parent, and I look at our son, I'm like, I'm so excited to like, let you just be. Right. But, yeah. And I think that to your point around right, right now, there's a, we're, we've been given access to a lot of different conversations around what it means to start a family because our journey started with um, finding an egg donor. Yeah, and can, then, we, can we go through your guys' yeah, whole journey? Yeah. First deciding that you guys wanted to be parents together and then can you walk us through yeah. basically the whole experience? We didn't do anything until we got married. That was like the big one. I was like, if we're going to... Because also marriage was also not... You know, I said, if you're going to be parents, not everybody's raised with two parents, but I think... You know, for us it was important. It to was be important married. to us because I was like, I want our kids to see what it means to be in a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, to have a chance. You know, there's no promises that a relationship will last, but at least they know we tried. Right. <laughs> and like we yeah. both have very like conservative Christian parents yeah. that would be like, you get married. Like there is still the process. Yeah. Even though we're we two were gay men. Yeah. So can we, yeah. can we just pause there for a second? Yeah. That's an interesting point. And yeah. Like what's, what is that? Like, how does that play out with your family? Like, obviously you just alluded like the, there's still the order of like, this is how we do it. But I would love to hear that if you're willing to share. Well, I mean, luckily my great uncle and my uncle have, like did all the heavy lifting in my right. family. Yeah. Cause that's just what, they're like, uh, my grandmother literally was like, ugh, they got another one. It's always the good one. So it was like one of her favorites. The good one. <laughs> That's so funny. And yeah, and oh. I mean, I, there, there was just no hiding it. it was so early on, yeah. I had like the swish in my step. It was, I was five and I was on a hockey team with my brother. Right. And so we were playing hockey at the same time. And anybody who knows my brother knows he's, we, we could not be more different. But, you know, he was actually playing the game. He's on the rank in there. Like, he was a forward. Yeah. I played defense because I liked skating backwards. Right. And so the puck would be in the opposite end of the rink. I would be nowhere to be found. I would be doing twirls. <laughs> like, learning how to spin. Yeah. In the middle of a hockey game. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, if my parents didn't have enough time to, like, come to terms. This, yeah. They really worked it out. But, I mean, I give my, you know, my mother credit. Very devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. She really kept 
like kept together. And my dad did tell me like when I was in my teens, he's like, you know, your mom still cries herself to sleep at night, but I'm not telling you that to make you feel guilty. Right. But cause like, you know, as a te- as teenagers do, I would be hard on her and, yeah. you know, wanting to be independent. And he would just be like, you know, like take it easier on your mom. Mm. Like this is fundamentally, you know, her God is asking her to choose between her religion and her son. Right. Or sorry, the church is asking her to choose between her, her son and her God. Right, right. And so she w- was having to really redefine what religion and spirituality were to her. And, you know, we, early on, I said, I said, like, don't ever, I don't have any expectation of you giving up your faith. Mm. Um, it's been turbulent. You know, we've walked out on, we'll go to mass to support mom. And I was very active in the Catholic community before I fully came out. Um, Because I just didn't... I knew it would just be easier if I was straight, but I so I did everything that I could. Yeah. I kept, like, popping in and out of the closet. You know? But more so for everyone. More just, like, code switching. Like, you turned it off when you needed to. Mm. Because I think, like, to enter into a Catholic church as a gay man, as an out gay man, is a more difficult environment. So it's like, oh, hey, I know how to, like do the dance that gets me through this two hours of my life Yeah, yeah. as a, in, as safety. It's like, I think that that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing from an early on, uh, early age, we learn like, how do I need to act in this environment so that I can survive? Mm-hmm. And I finally got, I think, I can't remember, it's like 15 or 16. And I was really tormented because I was, you know, sinking in all the Catholic youth choirs. I was, a lot of my friends doing all the things. I was an altar boy, all of it. Right. But I, I knew that the tension was getting the better of me. Right. And my mom was like, why don't you just go speak to our priest? Just try to like get some context. And he like, and so I, I, I went to, um, closed confession even though he knew like we knew who we, we saw each other a lot and I did the whole thing and he basically he paused for what felt like an eternity because mm. I was like listen I'm gay and I don't know what to do about it help me yeah and I think back on that conversation so often because I was like he had a choice and he paused and he paused and he breathed and I could hear him he was like right on the other side of the curtain and he likened my situation to a call to the priesthood. Mm. He was like, you know what, you have a calling. And he's like, like priests, your calling doesn't allow you to act on certain physical impulses. I was like, so wait, are you telling me I have to be abstinent? He's like, yeah. I'm like, interesting. So I can't share my life with someone. He's like, not in in a physical way. I was like, okay. And, I, and so I started to get upset. I'm like, so you're telling me I'm going to go to hell if I love another man? He's like, yes. And I, like, ripped out of that church. Yeah. And it was, like, a decade before I was even comfortable stepping in, yeah, into okay. one. But even through that, you know, I was... My mom and I, again, we talked about it a lot. And I said, look, like, you do you. Because it's so ingrained, like a Filipino Catholic... It's, it's, yeah. You can't. I could never ask her. She does, says the rosary every day and goes to mass as much as she can. Right. She teaches in a Catholic school, <laughs> like. But she was still like you know, never. I would never say that she was not fully supportive of me being who I am, which wow. is I'm so grateful for. That's, but I know the work that she went through to get there. Yeah. But then in turn, like her whole family, like, because you know, in, in Filipino culture, the trans personalities are quite 
prevalent. Like for some reason, my mom is she's like, I don't know what it is, but we all have like those basically trans dance teachers or, or transvestites or it was a part of the culture, but nobody really spoke about it. And so they've been exposed to it. Um, but they, they as a family, like the whole Filipino side really embraced me hmm. despite how Catholic everybody is. Yeah. And I think that could, my experience of your family and hopefully yours of mine, it's always been like, there's a belief and then it's like, but nothing will stand my way of loving my family right yeah um and i just wish that that was like if we looked at that from a more global context i Mm -hmm. think that that would really shift how we hold things to be real or true or sacred in our lives um and i mean i brought him home who would be upset about that (laughs) i mean i went over her his mom pretty quick i must say yeah and did you have a similar experience um i had growing up in a you mentioned Catholic, Catholic family as well? No, so this is also where I would also, like my, I don't know what denomination of Christianity we grew up in, but like my aunt and uncle and all my family that live out in Abbotsford are, are quite connected and work in the church still. And my mom's side of the family was very religious and my dad wasn't. And we, I wasn't really connected to my dad's side of the family at all. And so there was this like interesting divide. My dad's joke was always like, ah, see you in church. Meaning like, I'll probably never see you. Right. And so like, I had this like healthy tension of like, are we going to church on Sunday? Are we not going? What would warrant going versus not? And that growing up. And it always created just like a healthy idea of religious or of religion. I also grew up in very close to um, a number of the very Jewish boroughs of northern Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my friends were Jewish. And so we actually would switch households during holidays. And so I would go to their house during Hanukkah. They would come over for Christmas. Yeah. And it was just this really cool. So for me, religion wasn't like, this is the way. Right. It was like, hey, there's all these religions. Whereas like the Catholic upbringing, like, Wow, that's like such a different experience. So, a little more rigid. Yeah, and and <laughs> so there's a lot of moments where I, I sometimes have to for, I forget that religion and my life has just been actually like a beautiful complement versus uh, like uh, like a dictatorship of right and wrong. Yeah, um, and often very black and white. Like it's yeah. this or it's this, and there's no there's no gray. Yeah. And I'm like, historically, when they're like, this is the word, and you're like, well, you know that it's been manhandled and edited over the de- like centuries, but you still believe like that version that we study today is the ultimate truth. And I'm like, but that wasn't... Like, anyway, I could go off on... Like, oh, yeah. Hey, like, we don't even talk about religion. You would be like, both. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Seriously. I think it's like you handle a crystal ball with muddy human hands. Of course, it's going to not shine the, like, the light it was intended to shine. Um, so that's kind of how I envision my, like, my today's relationship with religion. Mm. Um, but you made me think of something, and I can't remember what it was. Hmm. It'll come. It'll come. Yeah. So, so that's the backstory. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, but, but then you asked us about parents. Yeah. That's what we, yeah, that's that's what we got okay. there. So oh like, my gosh. We got married, and then essentially as soon as we got married, we kind of looked at each other like, okay, so let's make a baby. And we decided to take a chronological approach. 
we were like, because obviously there's a conversation around adoption versus surrogacy. I had had a lot of experience with couples going through adoption. Um, I had done a bit of research on adoption and I had already decided that I was like, let's have a surrogate because it just, adoption nowadays is a much different situation. A, international adoption is almost, is illegal almost everywhere for gay couples. So there's that. And that means if you're left with adopting in North America, the pool of adoptable kids is, especially um, from birth, is very, very small. Um, especially healthy ones. Mm. The, the thing Thank you to affordable health care and sexual reproduction that yeah. we like education you know, so kids control, aren't having like babies that are not wanted. Yeah, right? you don't have that or healthy supply more. of like young Christian I'm, kids I'm or children. Children. <laughs> you know, like there's we I know what a very healthy supply of illegitimate children right. early on. It's not there anymore. Right. right. So the kids making it into the program Right have now, been in the system for a long time. Or they're born in with addiction issues. or like If you typically think of the people that are going to be having illegitimate children right now, it's people who don't have the resources to protect themselves or have the choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is a very significant uh, like generalization, right. but it's, it's enough of a statistic. Like yeah. If you look at it statistically, you're just signing up for a totally different game. And like reclaiming laws... Um, the rights are still with the family of the birth child. Yeah. Or the birth family of the child, sorry. So, you know, a, a random aunt or a grandmother could decide that they don't want the kid to be up for adoption and they've got rights. And For years. Yeah. Versus months. So you so, could, like, raise your kid to be almost three and from birth, yeah. if this was the case. And, and someone could come and try to reclaim them. Yeah. And they would have rights. And in our conversations, we were very like, that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, we yeah. want whatever's best for, our, for the kids of this world to grow up in loving homes. And But we, I just was like, our we child would have serious, I would be so detached, thinking that this kid could be ripped out of our lives at the drop of a hat, mm-hmm. that I... It wouldn't be healthy for anybody. Right. And I just couldn't do that. I wouldn't, especially with what we've gone through now, you know? So surrogacy was the route. And so then when you choose to use a gestational carrier, um, you need sperm, you need eggs. And so you let's need break a down the roles involved in creating our family. Yeah, let's hear it all. Oh, yeah, so yeah. the first is what we forgot was oh, we had to actually check our fertility. Because a lot of times as couples are trying to get pregnant in a heterosexual couple, it's like, well, it's the woman who has all the issues. And it's like, no, like dudes also like, yes, I'm glad you're running. It's really good for your sperm, like okay. virility. It's a great. Don't tell that to my wife. Just what I'm saying. Maybe it's time to go back onto the bike. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but we learned a lot about what it meant to like make sure that our um, our sperm were actually like viable and healthy. Um, that was a funny moment. We saw a coach. Yes. Um, I knew a woman who does. She called herself a fertility consultant, and I call her our baby coach. She's a baby coach. <laughs> she is a queer woman. Um, she and her wife had a child um, from a sperm donor like way early on. Their daughter is probably like 15 now. So they were doing it way before many people were. So yeah. she kind of deemed herself 
you know, like a bit of an expert, mostly in the lesbian space, but um, she just heard me talking about it, and so she she offered her services essentially. And like one of the first things she asked us was, "So have you guys checked your sperm?" And we were like, the- <laughs> "What we have to worry about?" Like, yeah, right. Yeah. And the, if you had had a camera on the puzzled looks on our faces, it would be quite. You're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course, sure, 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 cool, cool, cool." It's good. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. For like, even without a woman, we're like so misogynistic. Like it's clearly not our problem. Like wow, dude, that's amazing. So step one is check your sperm. Step two for us was then to find an egg donor. And an egg donor, um, ideally, you want someone who's under 30, who is quite healthy, active, no no, uh, genetic or family history of anything to be concerned about. This is like the DNA that you're worrying about. And... Despite popular understanding, the you need an egg donor because the woman who carries the egg to term is not the egg donor. Right. So in the modern day of, of it can surrogacy, be in some cases, but it's not recommended to keep the lines clean because nature kicks in. Right. If you impregnate a woman, even though at the beginning, and this is what was happening a lot early in like the early '90s and 2000s when this started to become really become a thing, was you would just a gay couple would impregnate a woman and she'd be like, oh yeah, I'll totally just give it to you when we're done. Even though she may have meant it, nine months later, nature has kicked in. Mm -hmm. She's given birth to this child and she's like, oh my God, I have to give this back to you. And then she would have all the rights in the world to change her mind. And it was running rampant. Where because it was more so in more for straight couples. Like this entire process has actually been designed to help infertile straight couples and gay people have just like benefited from the progress that has been made Mm -hmm. because even throughout this kind of like uh, jumping ahead a little bit but throughout our experience our forms and everything it's like who's the mother who's the father and so it's like still to this day yes gay couples were in these cases but it was more like this was happening in straight couples and or in the same case of um the stress of trying to get pregnant when you impregnant, when you transfer embryos into a surrogate, then all of a sudden the couple naturally has kids because they're not stressed out about getting pregnant anymore. Right. And so then there's the conversation of what do you do with the embryo that is now developing in the surrogate. Yeah. So I think like all of those. So we, there's a sperm, sperm donor, an egg donor, and a surrogate. And it must have found, it, it took some time to find. So with the surrogate and the egg donor, right? It was about a three-year process yeah, we from got, when we started to finally, like, having our kid. But we, I mean, we, I think we got so lucky. 100%. We got so lucky. And we, I can confidently, maybe reluctantly say that our entire process is because of social media. Hmm. Like, we, everything, I was so adverse to it in the beginning because I... At the very beginning, you were really, you were really committed. We to, for us to be active in our conversations offline. So this is when you could like rally in groups and go to events where you were networking and what a time. remember those days <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, so for us, it was we're out. We were out on the town quite a bit. Anytime we'd meet someone new, I'd be like, "Hi, my name is Matt, and we're looking for an egg donor." Like it was the conversation that we started. We were, Chad was very adamant about making sure that we told everyone. And the reason for that is we didn't know 
our egg donor. It like she wasn't in our social circle, okay. but we were confident that our social circle would Fine. know our egg donor. Cool. So we're like, we just have to make sure that everyone we know knows that we're on the lookout for this, so that we can leverage that support. Right. So we actually found our egg donor through Chad's brother and his family because she was the nanny for their kids. And she said it just in passing, like, oh, if, like, I can give these kids cousins, I'd love to donate my eggs. Wow. And she so, was 22. And so she was, like, checked all the boxes, like, gold star donor. So we feel so grateful. And she was, at the time, living in Squamish. She now lives in Australia. And she's just like, cool, have my eggs. Like, peace out. Like, I'm on the road. Yeah, you know? she's this beautiful, like, quasi-hippie, free-spirited yeah. Just like heart of gold yeah. and like loves hanging out with kids. So just like an incredible human. Yeah. And then we, along the journey, there's so many stop gaps or big milestones that could either uh, accelerate the experience or totally derail it and mm. put you back to square one. It's like the ultimate game of snakes and ladders. Um, and so we were private about our journey online until we knew we had viable embryos that could be transferred. Cause like you could donate these eggs and then in the span of a week, 20 eggs that you um, harvest could be down to two. Okay. And then once they're inseminated, both of them die. Right. And so then you're like, do you then try with another egg donor? Or do you go with a different, like all these questions. So we were pretty adamant about being able to yeah. say like- Without embryos, you're no, no, no go. So we weren't as explicit. We weren't as public until we knew we had embryos literally in the bank. Right. Yeah. Because that's then you're then you know one way or another you can probably get a kid. Yeah. And so then from that we had embryos uh, created. Uh, half were inseminated by Chad. Half of them with me. And then we went to social media. And I was like, Chad was super reluctant. He's like, I don't want to be like posting about this. And I was like, Let me do one post. Let me do like just. A super honest like request yeah. for help like hey our network please help us and I'll say like in the span of a week it's wild we were connected through a friend of a friend who knew a couple who had just become dads through this surrogate and when they were finished they she carried two kids for them she was like, I'm not done being a surrogate. Like, tell all your friends no I want to do this again. Yeah. So when they saw our post, they were like, can we make this happen? And it was like, we we're sitting on our couch. And at, Matt... Like, Ten minutes, maybe? Yeah. He, uh, the friend reached out to me and said, hey, are you guys still looking for your surrogate? I think I've got a live one, was what he said. I said, yeah, we are. <laughs> he's like, great. She, he's like, she's like... Meets business. Yeah. So, like, if you're serious, I'll give you your info. And I said, yeah, 100%. Within 10 minutes, she had messaged. Wow. And, and she like, came with, like, the ravest reviews. Yeah. Like, super communicative. An amazing person to work with. Like, just, like, all the things that we would want. And so we met this woman at, uh, like, a restaurant. I can't remember the But it was, like, we were dating yeah, you like date. sit across we the had, table. And we had met a, a bunch of women mm -hmm. before this. So that one post that Matt did went about as viral as, you know, some a personal post could go. Like it blew up yeah. in the responses. We had 
women coming out of the woodwork, you know, expressing interest or wanting to support. And that was one of the times where you really see this process for me has really highlighted the good in social media mm -hmm. and, and the power that you can really extract from it when it's when the intentions are, are good and whole and the you know women considering being a surrogate for us and all those types of things and you know we had a, a number of meetings yeah. um, from that one post but this is where the like five date rule that I was telling you before it's like now all the questions are on like day one yeah. it's yeah. like what are your views on gay marriage what relationship would you like to have with the kids what are your views on abortion blah blah like all of the things yeah. that needed to ha happen it was like we can't waste any time making new friends yeah. in this experience. It's like we're on the hunt for the the person that will like add so much magic to our family. Mm -hmm. And in all the cases of the women that we met, it was usually the husband that was the problem. <laughs> um, because of laws, you know, laws, the important laws that protect women from exploitation, you can't pay a woman to be your surrogate. If you could pay a woman to be a surrogate, there would be a whole lot more surrogates out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the husband's, we're like, so you're going to be pregnant, not with our baby, and you don't get anything for it. Yeah, and I have to deal with nine And I have so to live with a pregnant wife. Nope. So, yeah. you know, because um, you have to have had children in order to be a, a surrogate. Oh, yeah. okay. So it in cannot, Canada, yeah, in Can you need to have had your own, ideally, you need to have had your own kids. You need to be done having your own kids. Ideally, you've been a surrogate before. And you have had successful pregnancies um, in the past with no complications. Mm -hmm. Which, like, for anyone who's been pregnant before, like, a pregnancy without com complications is quite rare. Yeah. Um, Only because we're getting pregnant so late now. Right. You know, yeah. if we were getting pregnant in our, like, teens and early 20s... Totally different story. And, you know, our... our um, fertility clinic, you know, our doctor looked at us and he said, this is going to be easy because your egg donor was 22. Right. He was like, you don't, you know, you're not going to use all your embryos because th this is going to be a surefire deal. He's like, we're used to seeing women in their, you know, late 30s and right. 40s where it's, you know, tricky. Mm -hmm. But this is, you know, and he was right. Like one try we were, um, it took. Yeah. So. Hmm. So becoming... So we needed to, you know, go through that whole so you, process. So you got the, you got the, got the eggs, created embryos, found a surrogate. Now that's all in place, and it becomes a waiting game. Yeah. Well, I mean, they just booked the appointment, and we were there for the transfer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they like put it on the ultrasound. She's sitting there in stirrups, and like all there's all these Very nurses not around. Sexy. It was yeah, not yeah, sexy. Right. There's no red wine. There's no fireplace. Our, our, our doctor is quite well known in this space. Like I've actually yeah. met other people. He's apparently like quite the genius in this, and he's very successful, very and he's very work. very good at what he does. And you know, he like there's all the nurses. Everybody's waiting, and he, like rolls in with the syringe, and essentially you, you you don't really see it's the ultrasound is just kind of gray. Yeah. And you see they use um, an air bubble to push the embryo up into the uterus. Wow. So all you see is a white dot. <laughs> And then the actual embryo is so microscopic that the yeah. only thing you would see is the air bubble. Right. So, so like you just Pac-Man or Snake. Yeah, totally. Like yeah. Video games, yeah. Like, and you know, yeah. it took like a matter of seconds. And he goes, "There we go." And he goes, "That was great." He's like, "I should have filmed that for YouTube." And I'm like, "Oh God." You're like, meanwhile, our surgeons and like stirring. She's sitting there like, like the bedside manner. Yeah. Like, really, really? That's your bedside manner? 
And that's how our baby was. Yeah, I mean, that's there was the like the 12 people in the room. He's going to love hearing that story. Yeah. There was 12 people in the room. Well, it's, a, it's amazing just like hearing how you guys talked about intention and having to be the designer of your life. Like, yeah. Both of us uh, being, you know, straight men having families, like, you know, our, our process was obviously so different. And. Um, like it can be accidental even, you know, like yeah. without intention mm-hmm. where you guys had to go through so much intention, so much, um, you know, being clear with, with what you wanted, um, with that vision for three, three yeah. plus years. So it's like, um, it's really eye opening, um, to hear, you know, from my own personal experience to hear what you guys have to go through to to get to the same equation. And what I will want to, like, I would want to cap this part of the story with is that through our journey, we heard from so many straight couples who were like, how are you being so open about this? It took us so long to do these processes. We used a surrogate and didn't want to tell anyone, like... Everyone had their own version of the story, right. and I was like, "Why aren't you telling people this? Yeah. Like, well, you, like this, like in the straight world, like yeah. it's, it's the like, exact same. If yeah. you have any complications, yeah, if you've you know? been trying for a while, it's, like, it, it's a funny thing. We've talked a lot with friends about it. How we, it's such a, it's all in the dark, you know. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So if someone tries for a while or has a miscarriage, like they feel so, so much shame and vulnerability and so alone mm-hmm. uh, and all these other various emotions not knowing that there's you know so many other people that's happening that to journey, everyone yeah but it's just all individualized I, and kept kept to our to ourselves basically yeah. i find it so fascinating because i wonder where the the necessity to keep up appearances became such a, a an important value to our culture right. where you just because I mean almost every single one of my girlfriends has come to me in tears and like I had a miscarriage I'm like did you t- have you ever, like and it's the same story the shame the like taking responsibility for it all these things I'm like it's just nature if, if yeah. all y'all just talked you would realize that yeah. it's part of the process like yeah. miscarriages are just part of the game it doesn't make them easier to deal with but at least you know that it's totally normal. Yeah. And what I will say is that in some cases, some of my friends have come forward being like, oh, you're just a guy and we don't talk to guys about this. Mm. So it's also this idea of like from a community perspective, like women talking to women about what they're going through right. has been a saving grace for a lot of women as they go through this. But then it's like you're missing out on another um, or we just haven't created opportunities and creative safe spaces for people to feel like we can also be part of that conversation, right. you know? So yeah. granted, I think that from a male perspective, we can be like, why aren't you talking? And then be like, we are <laughs> behind closed doors right. where we don't get whatever we bring into that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's also creating the space as a man, you know, we're typically, you know, it's women stuff. And, you know, I just, the one I always joke, I'm like, I, you know, being gay is so great because you're just married to, like, another dude. It's, like, way easier. No offense, women. Um, <laughs> but it's just, they're a different species. They have, you know, it's, and that's part of the magic of marriage. But then when you, in a same-sex couple, it really does, you know, like, a guy knows kind of how another guy is going to think. It, it, There's it, a level of simplicity. There is, yeah, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah. I'm not going to call it easier because it's not. It's still a relationship. Right. 
but that age-old story of men are from Mars and women are mm-hmm. from Venus or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always, part of me always feels really sad when I hear um, a woman going through something like a miscarriage and either not knowing how to speak to her husband or not giving her husband the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, like I, uh, most of the men that I know and I'm close with would be incredible to their wives mm-hmm. to help them through a process like this. But culturally or whatever it is, there's just this, this need to keep everything secret. And even with infertility, yeah. it's, I cannot believe the number of couples that have reached out and wanted to just like speak freely mm-hmm. about the fact that they haven't been able to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And to be super open and honest about the fact that they're scared and they feel ashamed and they've spent tons of money and we're like, yeah, so have we. Like, ugh. like, yeah. it can be. We can normalize this because, right. again, these are multi-billion-dollar industries. And guess who's like because of people like you for a very good reason. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So why why the shame? Why the secrecy? Why the yeah. you know? It, it's very very strange to me. Well, even like miscarriages. Are, are so common. So common. And until you're in a situation where you're trying to have children or you are in the world of people who are, you know, having children or whatever, that you start to hear these, like, rumblings. But it isn't, like, that public until you look into it or someone close enough to you that That's will disclose awesome. it to you says it. And then you start to say, like, oh, you look at it, you look it up, you look into it, and yeah. it's like, this is so common and it doesn't minimize that it's tragic and heartbreaking yeah. for, for anyone who's experienced it. But there is some level of, I don't know, solace in knowing, like, I, I, it's not like I'm broken yeah. or there's something wrong with me. This happens all the time. Yeah. And then to find a community of people who say, yeah, me too, or us too, perhaps more, more yeah. appropriately. And, and that, like, it is obviously different because the woman was carrying the child. Yeah. But to say, like, that it doesn't affect the guys is so wrong. It's so too. unfair. Too. It's so unfair. Yeah. And then, yeah. so there's this, there's so many levels to that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, if anything, anyone's still <laughs> listening through and tracking, it's like, if you're there or, you know, someone who's going through this, or has gone through this, like it, you're not alone. Yeah. It's very normal and it's painful. But like Chad, what you said earlier, I just, I've been thinking about this whole conversation is like love is communication. And we think about that in, in a partnership, in a marriage, in friendships, but also like in our communities. How do we care for, especially in these unique times we're in, but like, how can we love each other? Well, like, let's communicate these things. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing too, like when we share these stories of like, this is really hard, or this was our story, but it brings out people communicating. Like, we didn't, we didn't know other people had this or whatever. Yeah. To love one another is to like communicate well and hold space and make space for that, right? Yeah. That's what's been amazing about our journey. That's the one thing that I will say. And tying into now like being a parent, for some reason, <laughs> our, our situation has always brought people to the surface. And we've... I think it's mostly Matt because you just can't <laughs> help but tell Matt everything. Yeah. He's just that kind of person. Um, People just wanting to share a situation that they've been in, mm. that they haven't been able to tell people, and I'm using air quotes, or, um, and I'm and, and I I obviously hear it lovingly and and, but I'm at the same time I'm like, why haven't you been able to tell anybody? Mm. But that's not for me to worry about, right? At yeah. least we're creating a space through you know our our marriage 
through our journey to becoming parents and now through Sasha's um, illness, um, which is a whole other, this is the next chapter. Like, so we had the baby in August. I wanted to ask about that process too. Like, so Dean and I, again, you know, have kids with our, with our wives and very different, you know, the baby's born and it goes right to mama's boob. And for the first year, you know, baby cries, goes to mama, mama's boob. Um, obviously, a very different experience for you guys. So, yeah. uh, beautiful baby Sasha is born. And bottle and fed right away. Yeah. Bottle. Which means anyone can feed him. Yes. So, what an incredible, <laughs> like, right away, all of a sudden, community care just yeah. means so much more. Mm-hmm. We had envisioned being able to, like, pass our baby around to our friends. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> we're at a no, dinner party. A and he's like, whatnot. <laughs> and now he's, like, a total COVID baby yeah. who gets freaked out when he sees people without masks on. <laughs> so, like, yeah. so it's, cool. it's, you know, like, it's a totally different game for him. But we, he, he is like a happy, healthy um, kid for the first four months of his life. And what was that adjustment for you guys going from, mm. you know, even, even in our, you know, heterosexual pregnancy lives or however you want to call it, like we were there to witness the mm. physical changes of our wives every day yeah. uh, and their bodies. So like, you know, ours was COVID. So, yeah. So we were in like FaceTimed into appointments yeah. if that, wow. or just like a phone call after appointments. It was a modern day stork. Like it was, really? <laughs> it yeah. was like, we just kept writing checks Yeah, <laughs> and we have not brought up how much money we spent on this child. It's like, here's your, like, here's my receipts that you need to reimburse yeah. me for. Exactly. Yeah. Here's like <laughs> for all the doctors, the medics, the med- like it's just a process. Yeah. And so, we just keep, you know, writing checks, and then one day you get a call. You go to the hospital, and we watch our son being born. So we were able to be there for the birth. We actually they had to get special, special permission, permission in order to make sure that both of us could be in attendance. Because under COVID, only one person would be able to be be there. We were able both to both be there. And it was our surrogate, bless her, because she was like, they both need to be there because they're the parents. She's like, I do not want this child. (laughs) She's like, I'm giving birth and they're taking the baby. So two parents need to be present. And so they, it was a certain memorial and they honored it and they were great. So what was it like? uh, You know, I want to get to present day, but just quickly a few more, a few more questions and steps before we get there. What was like the first night, the first day, the first week of um, uh, bringing this this child home with you. Yeah. Um, For the first two weeks, we he like slept on our chest at night, which yeah. is like so against everything that they tell you to do. Um, but it was this moment of being like, oh, we like we get to connect with him in such a beautiful and meaningful way. The first two weeks, Chad had off. I was on parental leave. Yeah. He was a week late, so we were also mm-hmm. like. I was waiting a lot longer than I expected (laughs) on parental leave, like trying to keep myself occupied. Um, But one of the things that I am blessed for in a gay relationship to become parents is like neither of us were healing from the experience of giving birth. So we were two sound mind, sound body, well slept like parents. And so to receive something that is something like a newborn which is like unpredictable and loud and will keep you up at all hours of the day and night like we actually were very ready for it um and i think we were well prepared and then chat i don't know what was it like for you those first couple weeks 
before he was born, I was really self-conscious because I really had this whole, oh my gosh, she doesn't have a mom in my head. Hmm. Um, but what I really quickly realized is through being the sole providers and through being the, the people that feed him, um, you learn where that connection comes from. And I've said it now to a number of my friends, predominantly the men who are just having kids. I'm like, get in there. Like, mm -hmm. make her pump. Because there is magic that happens. And I now totally see why women would be naturally protective of the experience. Yes, they're physically feeding the baby, but there's something on a whole other level that happens to you when you're like late at night with the baby, just the two of you. It's, and it feels incredible. Mm -hmm. And so I totally get it where women are like, nope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I just went through child labor, like, 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 this is labor, like, like, like I, yeah. you know, that's the reward. It's, it, and it's totally, it's weirdly addictive. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. And it's beautiful. The little, their little sound. Like I can still, my kids are older now. Like I can still hear yeah. the little sounds, like yeah, and, the, oh. and they're loud. They're loud. Like no oh, one yeah. tells anyone about right? like babies are so loud when they're first born. It's <laughs> like you sleep like a, a snoring, like weird oh, yeah. grunting. Yeah. 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 It's like there's no like sound asleep as a baby. I'm like no no no. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? That phrase is just like the lie that is labor in movies, like childbirth in real life. <laughs> Anytime we see a movie now, we're watching Netflix, and they're like, the woman gives birth after like three pushes. We're like, that is not how it happens. Yeah. Maybe it's the fifth or sixth. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But then, so we, the transition, I think, from to becoming dads has been just such an incredible joy, mm -hmm. mainly because it also feels like the goals realized, you know? Right. Like, We've been in conversations about this. We've had to plan our budget. We've had to plan our life. We've had to plan our careers in a way that allow for this to be real now. And then mid-December of 2020, Sasha just started like throwing up a little bit. And it wasn't like spit up. It was more he took a bottle and the bottle would just come right back up. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, ah, oh, he's around four months, reflux peaks at four months, maybe this is the, that time. So one of the things that we sh can do is decrease the volume per bottle that we're feeding him. So we start around Boxing Day decreasing the amount per bottle, and then he's in hopes that he would just take more frequent feeds, but then he stopped taking the number of feeds that we were hoping that he would be taking, and then it was on New Year's Day of 2021 that he just he took one bottle and it was almost like I was trying to force feed it to him. And he was just like, no, he wasn't right. Like yeah. something was up. And we're yeah. like, this is uncommon. And for context, that Friday was, um, the, was January 1st, but the Tuesday prior, he had gone to our family doctor to see, get a, a, his four month checkup, his inoculations, everything looked fine. We told them a little bit about the throw up. They're like, it's probably reflex. Here's a prescription for antacids. Like, no cause normal. for alarm. Yeah. Like, you're a baby. And he still, like, he had hit all of his benchmarks. So he was more, he was a little light, but he was still within the spectrum of a normal child. Yeah. And, like, developmentally was hitting all, like, she checked all the boxes. Yeah. So we were like, okay. No, we're, no we're cause for alarm. No yeah. cause. It's yeah. like, it, for all the parents out there, I feel like you would know. Like, it's either 
you're overreacting or it's like your child's dying. Yeah. You know, like that, those are the two <laughs> poles. And so it was the, we finally got to the point where we were like, we're worried about his hydration and getting dehydrated at this point. I spoke to a family friend who's a pediatrician. And he was like, you know, just grab some Pedialyte and just get some, get some fluids in his system. And we, we did, I was like, Feeding with a syringe, mm. trying to get him to wasn't take it taken in. to a bottle, and then he, he like tossed it all up, and also it was like gray, and so that was when we were like, we should just go to the hospital. Yeah. So we like zip over to the children's. We lived ten minutes away, so it wasn't like a big deal. I get there, and with I, only one, one parent is allowed. So, so I drive home. Oh my gosh. I go into the triage desk, and she starts asking us some questions. She's like, he's looking a little pale. I was like, I know he hasn't like eaten anything in like eight hours. And um, they're like, great, just head over to this registration desk. So I go over to the registration desk, I'm giving my information, and the nurse comes back and goes, you know, because of his coloring, I'm just going to take him into room number nine. It's just around the corner. And so I continue giving my information. Then the nurse comes back out and is like, dad, we'll need you in room number nine right now. And I'm like, 604. Like, as if nothing is happening. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do I finish registering? They're like, nope, nope, just come right with me. So I zip around the corner and I turn the corner and all of a sudden I see everyone's in COVID, P, P, uh, PDP. PPE. P, yep, that one. And <laughs> um, there's six people all around my kid. They, he has wires on him, hooked up, a tube in his nose. Oh, They're like God. the main person sat me down, got right up into my personal space, looked me dead in the eye. I was like, you came to the right place at the right time. There's a lot of people that are going to be coming in right now because we're worried about his breathing. Oh my. And now I'm like, we thought it was reflux. Yeah. Like yeah, this what? Just... Like this just escalated real quick. And she's like, is your partner still here? And now I'm like choking up being like, what, what, what is happening? They're like, you'll need to get, bring your partner back because you'll need him for this. Mm. And I'm like, what is happening to my kid? Yeah. And so the, they start doing these tests and they realize that the room was too small. So they're like, we're just going to move into a bigger room. Don't be intimidated by it. But this is like a big operating room with all of the equipment and everything. And it's just because we need the number of people. It's not because he needs all the equipment. So we move into, I've, I've now called Chad to come back. We've moved into the second room, and I'm at the head of the bed just trying to console Sasha as he's, like, full face mask now of oxygen, different creams and things. He's being poked and prodded for blood work and in I was Chad. like, I got... So you got the phone call. Well, he was like, you should probably come. And I was like, okay, that's weird. I was, like, literally, like, curled up on the couch heating up some pie. And <laughs> Very different except last yeah, well, time. Like, yeah, well, no right? But then I start... Like Processing. that's really odd. Like yeah. why? Why? So I get get to the hospital. The woman at the door knew who I was. She's like, "This is your social worker." I'm like, "My social worker? What's?" And so then immediately I'm like, "Oh gosh." So again, we turn the corner, and the I will never get the image of of what I saw out of my head because it was it was one of those defining moments mm-hmm. where I could hear Sasha screaming. I come around. And Matt's holding his head, and there was just a sea. It was like 13, 12 to 13 PPE, and they were holding his limbs down, trying to put IVs in, all these monitors. And it was just like the thing you never want to see. Yeah. And your tiny little baby. 
go right in the middle of it. Yeah. And that's when I lost it because I was like yeah. trying to hold it together. Like I was like getting verklempt yeah. hearing what was happening. And then I saw Chad and I was just like bawling. No, you yeah. know, like what is happening? I was so glad that we were able to be there together. But yeah. then fast forward through a couple of tests, they took an x-ray. What they realized through the x-ray was that his heart had enlarged to the size of his chest cavity. Wow. So that they were like, something's wrong with his heart. We don't know what at this point in time, but his heart is so big that it's now impinging, impinging on his lungs, his esophagus, and his stomach. Yeah. And so, like, so his heart had blocked his esophagus. Wow. And so, that's why they caught on to the breathing, obviously. And all these things are like, is he still giving you wet diapers? Is there any fever? Like all the classic things they tell you about parenting. Yeah. I was like, none. Yeah. None of those were clear. So Matt he took was like, his temperature almost compulsively. Because I was so nervous <laughs> all the time. I was like, this is a baby. Are you supposed to be this warm? And it's yeah. like, yes, you're yeah. like, <laughs> you have a higher body temperature than an adult does. Yeah. But it was still, so it was like, I could tell you. And we like tracked everything. So we knew how many times he was eating and how much in volume because he was bottle fed. We yeah. knew like if it was 125 or 100 yeah. milliliters, yeah. you know? Um, and so through this process, we, they learned the big, that he had a large heart. He was then taken into the They moved him up to ICU to, and, and, you know, they sort of prepared us. They, in the moment, were very vague. They said, we're doing everything that we can. They never really got into the specifics of how serious it was. And it wasn't until after that they were like, he was dying. Like he was, you know, and I went to this place because I almost didn't want to take him to emerge. And I was like, one more night, like, it's fine. It's acid reflux. And I think of those things, like he would have died if we had stayed home. Right. Like that's where we were. And, you know, in the moment they didn't tell us that because we for sure would not have been able to handle it. I like looked at the, one of the uh, cardiac specialists and I was like, so is he getting surgery like on the first night? And she's like, he's in the best place to get the best care. And I was like, He's getting surgery. They're like, so well trained yeah, at children's to like manage the parents. I was consistently demanding the parental drug plan. I'm like, when are you giving me Valium? <laughs> Where are my drugs? When do I get sedated? I cannot handle this. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Well, because I mean, I know I'm sure you saw like we put up images of what he looked like. Oh my gosh. And you're like, what? How did a? How did we get here? Yeah. And then you know. In that first, very first night, you know, I was like, decided to go home to get stuff. And inadvertently, I like, I rushed home and I was just in that sort of mad panic. And I made the mistake of like walking into his bedroom unknowingly Uh. and just completely lost it. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, my son may not come back to his bedroom. Oh yeah. Like, like, whoa. Um, and yeah. as a new parent, you, that's never, you're like, this that is, wasn't part of the intentional plan that we created. <laughs> right. And I was like, I paid a lot of money for this baby and we got a dud. <laughs> yeah. Like was kind of my, the, you know, we're joking. able to joke about it now. Yeah. yeah no, but for but sure. I, and those are the things that I was like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. He's a designer baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah. So the first, essentially what we learned in the first 24 hours was that he was going to need open heart surgery and there were two options either for what we, what they told us was he had a congenital heart defect that um, impacted the mitral valve. Well, uh, the mitral valve didn't form. Didn't form. Okay. And it impacted the ventricle, which swelled. Oh, okay. And so there was severe blood regurgitation, which essentially usually you want your blood flowing in one direction. 
his blood was just kind of swishing around in his heart, wow. yeah. causing it to grow because there's too much blood in the heart. Itself. And so babies are so adaptable. They just survive, right? So it, it just continued to grow in, to the point that it could no longer grow. And right. that was when it just slowly started to kill him. Yeah. <sighs> and so with that, we didn't really know between Friday and Tuesday what the outcome was going to be. And those... Because the you know, doctor was like... He should survive the surgery. I'm like, that's the best he got. <laughs> but he was very, he was very intentional with his language. Like, yeah. you know, you know, our four and a half month old had his heart and lungs removed from his body. You know, and he was already compromised. Yeah. To begin with, so it, oh the whole thing goodness. is just mind blowing. And so those first five days, four days, were the ones that I was like. We, we shared on social that, like, hey, this is what we're going through right now. And it was, like, the outpouring of love and support that we had received um, during those four days. Like, I can't or put it into words yet, but it's, like, when, you're in a, when we were in a hospital, when we have no external contact, we're in a, like, COVID lockdown kind of thing. It's, like, that one message, that one comment actually got us through the next five minutes mm -hmm. you know and so it, it was one of these things like if i can take five minutes to like say a positive thought to someone online like these are the days to do it like right. these are we don't know how meaningful that that was going to be because for us it went it, so much and it was so dark and i mean it's, it's a continuation of the fact that our, our relationship has always brought out the good in social media and again i i ought to always like even in like in those moments where it was too soon to know what was going to happen, I was like, there's a lesson in here somewhere. Hmm. Like I'm supposed to, you know, life doesn't happen by accident. And so what I learned right off the bat was we, we've got such an incredible community behind us, yeah. mm -hmm. whether they're close to us or not. And I, I just think like energetically, spiritually, however you want to look at it, yeah. the people fundamentally do care. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the, the cheering section or the support yeah. crew it was, it like, was shocking yeah because yeah. and, and you are already so raw and vulnerable and distressed that you I, I am typically not someone who accepts a lot of help right because I'm just like I just don't I felt so safe in the context of the love the outpouring of love that I was like yes make us dinner every day like mm -hmm. yes like yes because I need to give everything that I have to keep it together for my husband and my son. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this is when we realized, like, they said he'd get surgery, we'd be in the hospital for at least a week. And so we started right away getting on a plan of, like, how do we rotate in and out of the hospital to make sure that he's all, he always has a parent with him. Mm -hmm. So any medical professional that comes in has, like, a parental uh, decision maker. And then at the same time, it was also, like, then another parent also had to be at home. And that was in the, the best case scenario was we got to make sure we got good food sent going to the hospital. So we weren't eating hospital food or like a Starbucks breakfast sandwich every day. Yeah. We also made sure we got like some semblance of either sleep or a workout or something that gave us energy to go back into one of the most energetically difficult environments yeah. that I'd been in. And so 
but then you're also m mirroring that with a really empty house mm -hmm. and the home is empty bedrooms are empty and it's like the reality of that is really yeah. like it's, yeah it's I, I couldn't decide I was like I don't know where I'd rather be <laughs> yeah because yeah. home yeah. does not feel right yeah. I, I kept thinking I'd hear him crying which was torture mm. yeah. you know but it, yeah it's it's you just kind of and so once we found out there was a third option for the surgery, which instead of uh, repairing the, the valve. valve, they repaired the ring around the valve. And so the surgeon was like, I did really great work. Like, you don't need to worry about your baby. He's going to be fine. I'm awesome kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. The recovery in the hospital was torture because mm -hmm. he now has 16 tubes and wires all over. You can't pick him up. He's coming off of morphine, so he's like hallucinating and in pain, not in, like, it's just a mess. But once we got him home, all of a sudden, all we saw was this, like, happy kid. Yeah. Like, a version of joy yeah. that we had never seen before in him. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you were in pain. Yeah. In a way that, like, no, we had people old, yeah. like, we had grandparents come over. It's not like, oh, we we're first-time parents where we don't know. Like, people would be like, he, your kid's great. And now we're like, oh, this is how great your life is. Babies actually smile all the time. <laughs> like, he'd smile once in a while. And I just thought, like, you know, he's a bit moody. And, like, it's yeah. after he's his like, dad. He's, like, good stick guy. <laughs> he's I a bit of like, a bitch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so... But he is now like a personification of joy and wow. luckily for us I say luckily because right now we're on a schedule of weekly checkups with the hospital yeah. which will turn into monthly which will turn into annual but um, they're actually more reassuring because we have more PTSD yeah. than he does yeah. like he's like life is awesome yeah. like yeah. this is great and meanwhile we're like oh my gosh is that cough like yeah. a good cough is that a bad cough because like, it was so fast right? yeah, like just so like boom 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 yeah. it's now three and a half weeks later and we're like Kind it of hasn't even normal. been. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even though, like, so shortly after, right, when you guys posted about, like, we might get the you can go home now yeah. thing, and, like, even that photo, he still had, like, the little tube. Yeah. But pretty much everything else was removed. Yeah. And I'm like, he he looks like he's just a Crazy. happy little guy. Yeah. Like, out of, like, out of the woods, right? Like, yeah. here he is. And it's so wild to think that, like, three days ago, the post was like, he's going in for surgery in the morning. Yeah. Like, Let's rally. Yeah. And I think the the thing that I feel so grateful for is that we caught it when we did. Mm -hmm. He was big enough that we actually could do a different option on his heart that wouldn't require surgery, multiple surgeries when he's young. Hopefully, he won't have a surgery again until more than a year less than five but that will give his body time to grow it'll be just a better situation yeah so we are we feel so lucky to be on the trajectory that we're on because through this we've also started to connect with other parents that have had kids with cardiac heart disease and their stories are like I have a five-year-old and they've had three surgeries already. My baby was two days old when they had their first surgery. So there's all these stories again, like yeah. that are coming out of the woodwork. So we're people again, like being like, Oh yeah, our baby was born with this defect, but we didn't tell anybody. And I'm like, again, with the secrecy, Yeah, you know, it's so yeah. interesting. Well, it's a, a theme with you guys is you guys shine light to vulnerability and give through your own story, give people permission to share theirs. Yeah that they're otherwise, you know, keeping to themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's an incredible blessing in a way that you guys have been able to share your stories 
in a way for others to to share theirs. Yeah. I hope it just normalizes like a being in a good relationship so people know that they don't have to feel shame mm-hmm. about hey, you know what? I actually really love my partner. And when we're in a world that relates to each other through complaint sometimes, mm. like, uh, don't you hate your husband? And you're like, no, actually I don't. <laughs> you know? like, like, like someone made a comment <laughs> to us, we were walking the baby and some random woman is like, oh my gosh, I follow you guys on social media, it's so great. You actually look like you really love each other. I'm like, yeah? Yeah, we're supposed to like in real life as well. She's like, so sick of our husbands. And just the way she said it, I was like, but that is like very common language. Like the spouse, the oh, my wife, oh, my husband. And I just don't, when I look at. We're committed to changing that. Well, and like, because I fought so hard my entire life, I've known that it was going to be a battle to be a gay man who gets married. Be a gay man who has children. You'll never hear me take any of those, what are seemingly simple privileges, but hopefully, like, if someone listening to this can think, like, oh, don't take it for granted. Mm. And if you don't want it, don't have it. Yeah, get a divorce. Don't complain about it. You know, like, do whatever you need to do to not be in complaint about the life that you should have designed in the first place. Right. Yeah. And it's never too late to redesign. You know, like, I think this process has also given us a lot of pause for thought about, you know, when life, when we think life is going to go in one way and it totally throws us a curveball, are we still able to recreate and re rejig with the same intentionality, just given these new conditions or new parameters? Right. And yeah. I have had to keep telling myself, like, life is not going to be flawless, but it will be perfect. Hmm. Right? Like, because we right in the midst of all of this with Sasha, you know, we had our first consult for our second baby yesterday. Yeah. Like, because that was, uh, yeah, still on the yeah we're going to transfer in March, right? And wow, that was always amazing. the plan. But then it was like, what if Sasha doesn't make it? Like, yeah. what do we do? And, you know, because, like, that wasn't the plan. Yeah. You know, what do we do? And, and so it's, but because I know we'll always be able to discuss it, we're always ready to talk about it, we're always there for each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I can do anything with him by my side. Mm. And I also feel like we have, one of the things that I'm so proud of us for is the permission to like, today, this is my thought. Right. Today, this is like what I think is the best way forward. Today, this is it. And then we'll like sleep on it. And the next day we'll be like, do I still feel the same way? Yes, okay. Or like, you know what? I actually thought about it. And now I totally see it from your perspective and I want to go with what you suggested and my idea is useless. Or in my case, I just forgot what I said the day before. Chad's <laughs> <laughs> a few years old. That's Again, really, dating. That's really, <laughs> yeah, that's really why that rule exists because you don't remember what you said. I'm like, But yeah, it's been an incredible journey and it's to become a parent, to be a parent and we're so stoked on like, all right, let's Let's add to our family. We know our surrogate is excited to carry one more, and she, we're kind of on her timeline, and um, we're along for the ride. Because it feels really early. Like, it's fast. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in nine months, like, yeah, so will it feel perfectly timed, you know? What yeah. would the age gap be between the two? Uh, like it's going to be six months when we transfer, so six plus nine, 15 months. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So how are you guys? So my doing brother that? and I are eighteen months apart. Yeah, so. same with Chad and his yeah, brother. Yeah. So you know, close. Yeah. Uh, now that you guys, you know, are home out of the hospital, 
um, how are you guys doing as, as people that I don't know yet like I think yeah. I, I, I know I haven't really unpacked it because we're still in we're it. Still in it. Like, right. We're yeah. still learning. Like you know, what? he's going to be. We have to give him meds three times a day for, yeah. for the foreseeable yeah. future. There are going to be more surgeries. There is like you just kind of got to. And and I said this to Matt. We were sitting at the breakfast table, and I said, you know, like people have commended us on how brave we've been and what we've been through. And I was like, like we just survived the past month. Mm, yeah. It wasn't. There was nothing brave about it. We did what any parent would have done. Like mm-hmm. we are no different. We are. But I said, what's going to take the real bravery is how we parent Sasha. Yeah. We have to make the choice because, like, if he's going to be on blood thinners for the rest of his life, am I going to be terrified? Every time he gets a bruise, mm. am I going to try to prevent him from getting scrapes? Like, what kind of a life are we going to allow him to experience? Or are we going to create like, some, yes, like, do downhill skiing and motocross and like, are like, we going to create biking some, like, in the dark, weird, like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hypochondriac bubble baby? Right. Or are we going to have some fearless little dude who knows? If you scratch yourself, just we can come running and we'll sort it out. Yeah, you like, yeah, yeah. quicker. Yeah, as people who are so active and that's involved it. and like, yeah, like that's you, so, and you envision that's for what you yeah. want to pass on to your kids, yeah. right? But that's where I know I need bravery is 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 the road ahead yeah. in creating a a person who believes in themselves, who has the freedom to choose to do all those things, not because of per, and we don't even know the severity of what what his condition is going to look like. 5, 10, 15 years down the road, it could be nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just reading a stat of that 60 years ago, there was a 20% chance of um, survival survival from congenital heart disease, and now we're at a 90% chance. So, like, in 60 years, we've seen a 70% change. And so, as we look ahead, I'm like, in the next 40 years, his life is going to look so different. So, what people at... 40 today have to do to manage their heart condition it'll be so different for Sasha so holding the space also for like what is possible for him and and really as Chad said like really making sure that he knows that he can do anything he wants to do and it's more work on our end to be like (laughs) we also believe (laughs) you know like yes go live your life I'm not gonna let you see me cry yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so yeah Future, wow, future rock climber. Oh, that's yeah. right. Like that's yeah. just the thing. He'll do. So, he'll he'll grow up to be something like just crazy, right? They're yeah. Like, I'm just going to buy my just time. to give us oh. good karma. It all comes back. Right? Those, the adult drug plan again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's my value? Man, this was so great. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, you guys, for sharing so honestly and in this space and time that we've shared, but also as a as a couple, as people in the, in our friend group, in our circle and community for for being um, two wonderful humans that, like Zach said, shine light and really make space for people to, to feel comfortable. You just, there's like something about you that you want to sit down and like talk with and share things with. And so I think that just to, if you would be encouraged to keep doing what you've been doing, cause it's obviously working for you and it works for your network um, of people who cheer for you, but also benefits so much from, from who you are, what you do in the world and how you share about who you are. Um, so yeah, Thanks. thank you so much it's for being pleasure. here with us. Uh, just to wrap it up, um, again, echoing Dean, thank you guys so much for your time. I know as, as young parents, it's, uh, it's time is, is, you know, harder to come by. So we appreciate you guys taking the time to, 
spend uh, you know this these moments with us. Um, for those that want to follow your journey and be inspired as as we have been, where where can uh, where can they find you? You can find us our family Instagram account at Team Clarker, um, and then you'll be able to see how to follow us individually if you're interested in following our own personal journeys outside of family life. Very cool. Yeah. Um, again, thank you guys so much. Uh, we're definitely going to have you both on again, maybe together again, maybe individually, as, as we mentioned, you know, love to dive into your yoga journey and your athletics journey and, um, you know, see where, where those conversations take us as well. Yeah. Um, thank you guys. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. All right, everyone. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed that uh, powerful episode with uh, Matt and Chad sharing about love and the connections that we make with one another and how that creates uh, new and meaningful lives. And of course, the powerful story of little Sasha Fierce. All right. Yeah, I hope you, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, and I hope you love Matt and Chad as much as we do. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, wherever you go, however you go, be out there doing a little more good. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.